This is episode number 15 with Dean Carey. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Dean Carey has taught acting all around the world for more than three decades and with many great actors, including our very own Aussie, Hugh Jackman. Dean also works as a performance consultant on TV and film projects. He's the author of five books and also the founding director and inspiration behind Actors Centre Australia, which celebrates its 30th anniversary in 2017. This chat absolutely blew my mind and I've taken notes and implemented so many things we speak about in this episode. I've re-listened to it three times. Yes, it's another unapologetically long episode, but this time I'm not splitting the long form into two. Your feedback is aligned with my belief that we're better off just having the full episodes play out in their entirety. If you let it be, this episode can be a coaching tool to help you with any situation in your life. It is powerful. Prepare to be open-minded. In this episode, you will learn Hugh Jackman's core characteristics that make him the successful and fulfilled human and actor he is today, how to use the three C's of confidence, creativity, and connectedness to evolve and prepare yourself and future generations, You'll learn the simple method of how versus why and how this can change the directory of your life. And you will learn so much more. In fact, I'm putting it out there that this is the most educational podcast I have launched to date. So don't just listen to this episode with the intent to understand, which is the most important way for us to listen, but listen to it again when you can also take notes. Because if you take action on even just a few of the things Dean teaches us in this interview, you'll begin tapping into your inner excellence at an accelerated rate. Stay tuned through all of his stories and analogies because there's some crazy events that happen in his life that he reflects on that relate to everything he teaches and understands about human behavior. I ask him at the end about his belief of his deep core purpose on this planet. I've never asked anybody this before and his answer truly intrigued me and has taught me how we can all begin to question and understand our own purpose in a non-stressful way. And I love how this chat just kept unfolding right at the end and these absolute gold knowledge bombs just kept flowing, especially around pattern interrupt and perception. We start the chat talking about his first ever acting role, which is still his all-time favourite, and you'll hear it in his passionate explanation. Wow, you're taking me right back there now. We're talking about eight, uh, not 18, 1982, I think. Um, <clears throat> it's only recently that I've been able to see the speech that Vince does in a new light because he talks about leaving the family home, which is full of dysfunction and pain and rage and, and ignorance and betrayal. 
So his family is completely crushed and falling apart. Um, he comes back to visit them and, do- and doesn't see the American dream that he thought he was going to come back to, you know, mom and pa and, 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 and the cornfields and, you know, family dinners. He sees this disgusting, putrid, toxic wasteland of a family. And so he drives off in the night and he sees his reflection in the in the windshield as he's driving the car and the speech is that his reflection begins to morph and change and his face becomes his father's face which then becomes his grandfather's face and his father's face and his father's face and then it goes back to faces he doesn't even remember anymore back to the beginning of time almost and he realizes that the inherited pain of all those men are carried over into the next born and that he was the next born and that unless he breaks the cycle, the cycle will never be broken. So if he runs, if he continues down that highway, he will become a drunken, lost, lonely, disconnected soul. And so he pulls the car over and he turns it around and he goes back. It's just great. It's so wonderful moment. And is that emotional attachment for you because you got to express something from uh, within that is sort of an existing thought within you or something in your bloodline or is it just something that you thought this is a great story for the world to learn from and I'm proud to be in this part to be able to express it? I think as an actor you always go above your own personal agenda and there is always a sense of being of service like the world needs to hear this and there's nowhere else in the world where the mobile phones are turned off the iCal calendars aren't giving you any more alerts. You're not on Facebook. You're not doing FaceTime. Um, you're not, you're not uh, posting where you are, who you're with, what you're eating. Um, all those things are stopped. The lights go down, the curtains open, and we get to see human nature. You know, we get to see who we are in the best and worst of ourselves, and it's right there. And I think for me, I ran away from my very conservative family in Melbourne in 1979 I couldn't run fast enough a bit like Vince heading down uh, heading up the Hume Highway from Melbourne to Sydney um, leaving a very what I felt was a very appropriate comfortable conservative uh, narrow bandwidth of worldviews and I knew there was something else and I escaped so I did think about that when I was doing the character, uh, creating the character, definitely thought about what it is for someone to reject their inherited tribal tradition. You know, we had the picture of the Pope in the hallway in a gold frame. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we had the, the statue of Mary arriving every, every month for the rosary. You know, I remember kneeling there as a six-year-old going, what are we doing? Who are all these, all these people? What are, what's happening? Um, and I just knew there was something. Then I, then I found drama and I was, when I was 12 or 14 <clears throat> and I, then I knew there was something else. There was a far bigger world than what Ashburton, Melbourne – and Melbourne was very conservative in the 60s and 70s. It's nothing like it is now. Um, and Sydney, of course, was – was on the harbour, it was dynamic, it was edgy, it was funky, it was any everything other than what Melbourne was. So, um, yeah, I did think about that, playing the character, that I was driving away from something. But then when Vince goes back, he realises he's only, you know, wherever you go in the world, there you are. You know, whatever you're escaping from, it's right there. You'll never, you'll never leave it until you get complete with it 
or until you're able to be complete with not being complete with it. <laughs> it's that version of it as well, of going, well, look, that's never going to change. I understand that now and I accept that's not going to change. And, and Vince went back there and, and throws everybody out of the house and says, now this is my house and we're doing things differently. And that was um, Sam Shepard, who only passed a few days ago, of course. That was Sam Shepard's moment of going, we've got to make a stand. We have to make a stand. We have to be committed. We have to, we have to say no enough, you know, and clean out the stuff that, that doesn't belong anymore, that's used by date, is well and truly up, uh, and go, no, this is a stock take. And I think it takes – I believe that all drama is based on calamity and collision. So as are the major moments of our life, you know, we talk about tsunami, earthquake, fire, terminal illness, um, you know, a couple's arguing at home, the kids are arguing, uh, the dad or mum has bought an expensive chicken to have for dinner and there's roast vegetables and it's all very special. And then a text comes through, a phone call with the dad and mum's had a fall chicken's turned off it'll go to waste it'll go to rot doesn't matter the kids get their clothes they all go to casualty like things change in a heartbeat and when i when i teach and i give talks i i talk about why do we wait for the tsunami why do we wait for the terminal illness why do we wait for that moment when we can make change and think afresh and be called to account anytime Brilliant. I love it. And before we run away with this chat and uh, move forward in what I know is going to be very entertaining and enlightening, I just want to say, Dean Carey, welcome to your life of impact. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, we first connected at the New South Wales Institute of Sport here in Sydney, where I've been coaching for the past three and a half years, when you came in to do a workshop with us. And I knew straight away that I'd be very present in your workshop because you opened up talking about energetic exchange between humans. And I've been really keen to get you on the podcast because of your deep understanding and coaching of human behavior, which is what we'll dive a lot into today. I remember playing a chair game called Mastering the Maze. Is that right? Yep. Essentially, it was teaching us many lessons around group dynamics. So there was a mixture of coaches, managers, uh, leaders in the group. Uh, it was around group dynamics and energy exchange. But what I noted, so when I was reading back through my notes, my two take-homes from that exercise were that it takes more energy to hold on than it does to let go and that leadership is actually an energetic exchange. So what I know and, and now know and believe uh, in life that shifting yours and other, other people's energetic states is actually a very powerful and purposeful uh, situation or sorry, circumstance to create so people then can create space to learn and engage even more. What take us into that energetic state exchange? Where does your mind go with that? Wow, well, I've been doing acting for 40, 40 years or maybe a bit more. And in acting, there's nowhere else to be other than the present moment. You can't be in the past. You can't worry about what line you fluffed four minutes ago. You can't worry about what's coming up. Your mind might go to what's coming up, but you need to be with the person 100%. And so through acting... Um, over the cross those 40 years, I've realized that everything happens, everything of meaning happens in the moment. Um, and depending on what outcome is, is achieved or gathered or focused on, all comes down to the quality of the energy that you bring to that moment in time. And I talk about this with businesses. Brand 
is only energy. And we look at the CBA right now. <laughs> uh, their brand, the energy behind their brand, suddenly everyone's had a different take on that with 53,000 potentially illegal transactions going on. So CBA might be the – and they've just recorded a, um, a $10 billion profit over the 12-month period. But in the end, brand is energy. doesn't matter what people say. doesn't matter what their slogan is. doesn't matter what their mission statement is. doesn't matter what vision boards they've got around the room and their whiteboards. It doesn't, it doesn't have any influence or impact at all. It all comes down to the quality of the energy of reception and transmission. And that's what life is based on. We receive and we transmit. Some people are great at receiving but not transmitting. Others are great at transmitting but not too much at receiving. When both are in balance and both are at the highest quality possible. And we think about most people, or I think, or many people have been at the bed of a dying person. You walk into that room and the quality of the energy is exquisite. I don't mean beautiful, I mean exquisite as in you could almost grab it from the air. The person's taking their 100th last breath or their 400th last breath or their third last breath. So that place that we can go to as a human being is very instinctive for us. But as I said before, we wait for those moments of the bedside vigil uh, to be reminded of how acute and present we can actually be and the chair game is a great example of going well how acute and how present are you there's a there's when I walk around the room looking for a chair I'm the random influence in life I'm the I'm the thing you can't control I'm the other person in your life I'm the person who's giving you grief I'm the market trends I'm the demographic that you can't connect with whatever it might be I'm that random influence that that we can't control um and therefore of course the other takeaway is we can't control what's happening but we can command where we place our energy and focus and we know what we put our energy and focus onto will grow it has to it can't not and so once you bring your focus and energy to being in the moment being completely present unattached to the outcome bringing the highest receptivity you can to the conversation, being acutely aware of your communication. Like and all of those things an actor has to have. So when I – I was teaching corporates ages ago thinking to myself, well, I'm a bit of a fraud really because I'm doing this acting artsy-fartsy thing and I'm going into the corporate environment where they're growing up in business people and what, what, what am I going to tell them that they don't already know? But moving that space into the corporate space – because, I mean, just wheeling back a little bit, I, I had a class yesterday with my um, first-year students where I, I call it MAP now, and MAP is manager, artist and person, and that we've all got three aspects inside of ourselves. We've got the person who's vulnerable and wounded and magical and mystical and has all these expectations and, and, and fears and prejudices and filters and attachments and hopes and dreams. So there, there's the person. And... The issues that we have as a person, which basically comes back to our seven-year-old kid, because when we're frightened, it's not like I'm 57 now. I'm not frightened as a 57-year-old. I'm frightened as a seven-year-old, you know. Um, just a quick example. I loved when my pop wasn't 
He was about a year away from dying, but he wasn't sick. He was 101. And I was sitting in the room with him and my dad was 77. And the nurse came in to check whether Pop was okay and said, um, Hi, Mrs. Carey, how are you going? Oh, good, good. And Pop stopped and said, uh, Nurse, are you single? And she said, well, um, that's a very private question, Mr. Carey. Yes, I am. And he said, because my son here is single. He's looking for a woman. <laughs> and my dad, who was 77, went, oh, Dad, please don't. You're embarrassing me, you know. So I saw my 77-year-old father reduced to a 7-year-old in a heartbeat. So our vulnerability or our wound, if you like, um, uh, our sense of exposure is of a 7-year-old. And so the, that's what's driving a lot of the person. Then there's the artist inside each of us. You know, everyone has an artist, which is um, um, purposeful and uh, unbridled and instinctive, and with, whether it be painting in an art form or running a women's refuge in Penrith for 14-year-old pregnant girls. That woman who runs that, that place, she's an artist. She knows how to connect. She knows what to do. She knows what, what that culture requires. And then there's the manager piece in all of us. And the manager is the manager has your back. The manager is the rational, logical, caring, resourceful, strategic, thinking and feeling part of us. That is that is the best guide. They'll give us the best advice. Um, so in terms of the the chair game, it it, it provokes our person people get upset because they can't control it and we know we can't we, well, we should know we can't control other people we can't control ourselves half the time what we can command is our focus and energy and when we step into that place in the chair game where we're giving ourselves fully to the random influence and working um, instinctively around it then managing that then our artist gets released intuitive instinctive connected resourceful that energy that you speak of and that uh exchange is that something that you really try and instill in your students from the get-go and with it whether it's through these games or whether it's directly do you educate them on what their internal energy actually looks like and how much in control they are or do you try and bring that out in that artistic way that's a great question um when I went through drama school, it was fueled by fear and competition. So we were told that um, at the end of first year, there's 24 of you in the room now, there'll be 12 of you left to work out which 12 you want to be in. So um, that to me, which is why I railed so much at primary school and at secondary school and then at drama school, scratching my head going, something's not right with this paradigm. It's so... I didn't have the words back then, but I didn't realise how antiquated it was that it's based on fear and competition. And every single reality TV show now, and there's, it's no coincidence that they're prevalent on television because I think the world is frightened in many ways of who's in control, where we're going, um, what things are being passed through um, legislation – uh, how backward we are in so many ways, how prejudiced people in power are in so many ways, that we're trying to grow as a, as a, as a, as a human being and as a culture and as a world. And, you know, as I say in my courses, we don't want to get too depressed about it, but will the species make it? Like, will, will we actually realise that there are no demarcation lines of race, colour, creed, sexuality, whatever there might be, 
that those questions aren't right or wrong. It's merely irrelevant to ask them. We're, we're the same species. We're on the same spinning rock in the middle of nowhere. We don't really know why we're here. People pick religion or whatever they might have to go, well, that's why we're here. You know, I have a god. I have a deity. Well, the Hindus have 125,000 gods. Um, so everyone's got their own version of why we're here. But we, in the end, we don't know. So unless we as a species get into a managerial place and look after everybody, and we have the resources to do it. There's enough money on the planet to have everybody be a multimillionaire every time it's over. And you go, this doesn't make sense. So going back to that fear and competition, that goes back to our seven-year-old. That goes back to the wound, our vulnerability. And every single reality TV show is based on fear and competition. And uh, I was watching Hell's Kitchen last night, you know, not for long. Um, but, you know, that moment of, you know, talking to Samantha and talking to Julia, one of you were going home. And so people get voted off the island until there's only one left. And so every single reality TV show is based on the same. You're fired. You don't belong. You know, snuff out your candle, get in the, in the uh, speedboat and Go, go away from the island. And that goes back to the human being's greatest fear, which is separateness. That's our greatest wound, that somehow we don't belong. I'm sort of rambling a bit, I know, but it, it's all around that thing which I find fascinating, that the, the human being's the only species born that can't speak, can't run, can't move properly, can't even find its own balance. Um, the baby, a baby takes 55 kilometres to crawl before it can walk. That's a long time. That's from here to Penrith. (laughs) (laughs) And if I said, if you want to learn something important, you know, get on your hands and knees and crawl to Penrith and tell me how it feels. Um, whereas a foal will be born, it'll be wobbly for a while, but it's taking its first little gallop within half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, you know. Uh, it can go to mum, it can suckle, it can do all the things it needs to do. Um, I remember going scuba diving years ago and I came across a, a reef and under the reef I saw a fish and it was actually a shark. Um, and it was a baby shark, but it was fully formed. I thought, wow, this, this shark doesn't need another six months or eight months to become formed or three years. Our brain takes 28, I think, before it's actually fully formed. That brain is functioning completely, you know, it will grow the creature will grow, but it's already there. Um, so we take a long time. So I think that instills in the species a sense of exposure, a sense of separateness. You put a baby in someone's arms and there's ecstasy and, and joy. Put the baby in a cot and walk away and there is agony, instant agony. But pick the baby back up again, you know, gurgling, maybe even a smile, maybe even a laugh. Put the baby back down again, agony complete grief and not just 10% grief 100% grief back to fear what you were saying there about the exposure of that through reality TV too uh, must admit I don't watch TV and uh, thank God yeah the reality TV is far from I definitely watched it a lot growing up and over the years but I've sort of realized and done a lot of work over the last couple of years about operating from a place of love and making choices from a place of love as opposed to a place of fear and not making choices in the fear of missing out or in the fear of that opportunity might not be there. It's more making that choice from that place of love of 
I actually really want to do this or this is aligned with my core values and my belief system. So that's why I make the choice. And when you were talking there about the uh, the reality TV and how they throw fear into people's faces, I just realized when you were saying that, oh, that's probably why instinctively uh, for the last couple of years, I really haven't been connected with TV or reality TV at all for, for that reason. So I think it's an important thing for people to learn and understand that difference about having having the ability and it is a choice to be able to choose between those spaces when you're given a, a, a circumstance to make a choice. Are you choosing that out of fear or are you choosing and making that decision from a place of love? That's right. As, as we know, there's only two emotions, you know, love and fear and all the other ones just cascade down from both of them. Um, and we've got both of them <clears throat> available to us, but we get conditioned that fear is probably um, – the most prevalent one for many of us and and as you say we we have to find ourselves going to a heart space a space of love and when i'm talking about new age airy fairy you know i'm i'm a i'm a, a light in the universe which we all are um but practical love um practical connection practical care um i, mean, I think bringing up kids is the most amazing responsibility I'm yet to experience that, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. My gorgeous fiance and I, we're ready, we're keen. Oh, so that's good. I'll give you a call in a few years' time, yeah. hopefully, and say, now I know what you're talking about, Dino. <laughs> are you going to have, what do you, what do you think you might have, a boy or a girl? Actually, I haven't thought about that and uh, I'm not too concerned. I just want to have uh, a healthy family and someone to, some some kids to kick around with. And, oh, my end goal is to live till I'm 110 and be running when I'm 110. So I figure the, if I have a few kids, they'll help keep me young and help me make decisions based around my long-term health. That's great. <laughs> so they're decisions made from a place of love as opposed to a place of fear. Now, yeah. Dean, we're, we're sitting here in your uh, Actors Centre Australia studio and I believe it's your 30th anniversary this year for ACA. Massive congratulations to you Thank on you. building a community. It must be amazing for you to be able to reflect over a 30-year journey but still have a, such a great community around you. I want to know how has the journey been for you over the past 30 years and also take us into the future of ACA because I know that you have partnered with or are partnering with MindChamp mm -hmm. and they sound like an amazing organisation who have decades of research into the psychology and neuroscience of learning to build in young children the three C's of what they say, confidence, creativity and connectedness. So give us a little snapshot of the last 30 years and then take us into the future. Wow. Well, I look at ACA and I only reflected on this a few years ago that I believe it's always been a reflection of my state of mind across the 30 years. Not that I've had full influence, of course, on it, but because I've been at the helm since opening the doors in 1987 until now, my fears, my expectations, my pressures, my issues, any of the things that are had been at play with me as I've grown up because I was 27 when I opened the doors and now I'm 57. So you go, wow, well, and I think back to all those moments and go, wow, the, the, the Actors Centre could only ever have been as big or as bold or as, in, or as amazing as what I believed it could be. And I had to have that vision 
Now, I, I think I had that vision all the way along, but the vision's got bigger and bolder and more secure and I've become less worried and fretful over it. I remember when it turned five and I was going, wow, five years, and it turned 10, then 15, and life goes so quickly. But I didn't realise until recently that this is the community I always wanted as a kid. I've created the one thing that I missed out on. Um, I was bullied at school. Uh, I was overweight at school. I didn't fit in. You know, I was bashed up at school. Um, I had the hideous nuns in primary school <laughs> teaching me. Then I had the more hideous Christian Christian brothers, in inverted commas, at secondary school. And <clears throat> my little seven-year-old kid was really wounded, like really frightened. And I thought, I don't, I don't belong. I'm not coping. I don't connect. I was by myself as much as possible. Uh, I was frightened by the world. I got smaller and smaller. Um, the more weight I put on, the smaller I got inside. Um, it wasn't until I got to drama that I began to expand my opinion about who I thought I was. And so who I think the actor centre is and could be has been a, an arc of development and expansion. And meeting David, um, who's now 50% owner with me, after 30 years is just is just wonderful and when he talks about his he's got a project called project 2036 and it started in last year in singapore and he talks to parents and says um your kids got four years preschool they've got six years primary school they're three or four now right four years six years six years secondary four years for a, a basic diploma or qualification that means he says to the parents your child, your son or daughter, will hit the workforce in 2036. We can't even imagine what the world will be like next week, let alone 2036. Hence, going back to the three Cs, which is, would you like them to be confident, creative, connected, and then also collaborative? Would that be something that you think 2036 would want? And of course, everyone says, yes. Who wouldn't, we're going to need to be collaborative, creative, connected, and confident to survive. So it's a very exciting time for ACA and the, the community is, is, has always been strong. We have no power politics here. Uh, we have no agenda other than every person being the best they can. We treat unlike any school that I know of in the world. Um, there might be some, but I haven't come across them. We deal with the person as the person, the artist as the artist, and the manager as the manager. We speak to the manager a lot. And we empower the, the manager aspect of the person. We care for the person themselves. The person's fragile and needy and exposed and vulnerable, so we care for them. And we embolden the, the artist aspect. Whereas when I was going through drama school, if you failed that exercise, then you were a failure as a person. You stuffed it up, then you're a stuffer, basically. So they always collapsed behaviour uh, and the person together. Uh, which is what a lot of parents do, uh, which is the worst thing you can do. Worst thing you can do. So the person is wonderful, fragile, brilliant, uh, resourceful, because the per with the manager and artist aspects, right? But the person's great. Their behaviour may not live up to that. So example, uh, many years ago, one of the students wasn't coming, was coming late to class for the full-time program. And they were late on the Monday, late on the Wednesday, late on the Friday, and I heard about it and went, oh, they had a chat to the student. And they were late the week after, missed a couple of classes. So two weeks went by. 
And so I stepped in and went, well, I'll have a conversation with whoever it was. And I was going, oh, gosh, now, you know, they're going to the CEO now, you know. And then we walked in and, and he was um, rattled, edgy, defensive, you name, you name it. That's where he was because he thought that um, uh, headmaster was going to have the talking down uh, to him. And the first thing I said to him was, um, when you're not in class in the morning, we miss you. Um, I said, because, you know, you bring such a vibrant humour, which he did. And I had to – this has to be real. It can't be fake. You've got to say what's real. And I know what's real. I was teaching him. I said, you bring a great humour and a great mischief and uh, a great sense of curiosity. And when you're not there at 9 o'clock, we miss, we miss you being there. So how can we find – how can we find a place where you can be there, a part of the ensemble, and how would that look? And then he told me about his mum and his mother's mental illness. And we had that conversation. So I was able to say, wow, that's, that's huge. You're, you're basically a carer for your mum and your mum's very needy. And when, when he goes to leave for class in the morning, she starts to arc up and amp up because she'll be left for the day. Um, I said, great. So we had the conversation about her life and about his life, and both are important and both need to be honoured, not just hers, because he was given up his life to look after her, which may be another choice. If he'd said to me, I can't be at school anymore, I need to look after my mum, I'd say, I wish you every, every best wish in the world. This is important, you need to do it, and your mums should be very proud of you for doing that. Um, but then we had the conversation about boundaries and about how he could look after her and himself. So I was talking to the manager part of him, but also talking to the person who felt guilty at leaving mum. So what a great conversation. Rather than you're late, you're breaking the code of conduct, you know, three more times you're out, buddy. You know, this is a profession. It's tough. You better live up to it, all that. That wasn't even part of the context. Which is what they'd get at school for, for not showing up or being late or something like that. So it's a great approach. So do you feel that what you guys are pushing through with MindChamp and the future of ACA is uh, encouraging the – like how parents here in Australia is a very sporting nation and kids, parents might put their kids into sport knowing, well, they're not going to be – we're not pushing them to be elite athletes, but we know there's so many dynamics that they can learn from this to grow as humans. And I see that that's what ACA and MindChamp can offer around the three Cs that we spoke about, confidence, creativity and connectedness, which means community. So I look at it as, well, I'm a very sporty person and my fiance is too, but just hearing you speak, I want my kids to be part of MindChamp because there's amazing attributes here that they can take into every aspect of life and just hearing the way that you approach these different uh, I guess the personalities within a person and the different skills that they need for every aspect of life, I can see the power of where you guys are heading and what you're offering. Yeah, well, when I, when I met David, uh, he has some of the world's leading thinkers in education. He's got the world's leading thinkers in psychology and he's got the world leaders in neuroscience on his advisory board. I mean, Alan Schneider, who created... Um, who, the web was created because of his work in uh, fibre optics because he was he's a biologist as well as a neuroscientist and he was studying how light is refracted and reflected in an insect's eyes. Wow. So he's there on a desert, on a rock, on a beach, whatever, staring into the eyes of a, <laughs> of a lizard <laughs> looking at refraction and reflection and, how, and transmission of light. He then developed fibre optics 
and the internet is based on fiber optics. So David has the most amazing people surrounding him and he believes that uh, true education is an intersection of four things. Um, one is education itself, like just you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, like learning. Secondly, there's psychology, which is how we learn. What is our relationship to ourselves and to learning? Then there's neuroscience. Why does it work sitting in a circle? Why does it work if it's done in this way or positioned in that way? And the fourth aspect for him was theatre. That theatre is a incredible connector for people where they go into a um, – they can go into a mythical or epic place. They can learn in a way that you can't just learn from a book. Um, so theatre um, takes us into a world of imagination and we, we make connections in the right side of our brain rather than the left side trying to learn about history or science or geography. The right side will get it instantaneously via theatre. So when he met me only a year, a year ago now, um, I was the final piece. I was the theatre piece. So... I'm writing the curriculum now for the three to four-year-olds, which I've I, – I don't teach three and four-year-olds. I teach 18 and above. But thinking that you've got three and four-year-old beautiful young ones in a room for an hour and the focus is their creativity, their connectedness and their confidence in relating, receiving, transmitting, working with someone – coming up with something, doing a painting, um, talking about having a voice. So I, I'm so excited. We start in October and I'm so excited to, to know that that's going to be happening as a part of our educational stream. So rather than my mind, which has always been professional, 18 and above vocational, now I'm realising that why would we deny three and four-year-olds and then fives and six-year-olds and seven, eight, nine-year-olds, that incredible, precious time. And it's not about them. One of David's um, tenants is um, zero fear and 100% respect. So 100% respect to the person, the teacher, everyone in the room, the community, the parents, the friends, the planet, everything. Respect all the way along. And then zero fear not zero fear as in, you know, don't go up and pat that dog that looks angry, not that sort of zero fear, but zero fear as in don't be afraid to, to share, don't be afraid to ask, don't be afraid to say how you feel, don't be afraid to, to say I don't know. And that is a, a um, I mean, you imagine if, like we know it takes four generations to transform the world. It'll take kids coming up to have kids for their kids to come up and have kids, for their kids to come up and have kids, and we've got a completely different world, planet, than we would have right now. Dino, you've been an actor since and in the industry since the 70s, and my question was going to be, you've just answered it, I was going to ask what drives you to continually uh, stay in this space and produce amazing actors, actors, actresses and shows and you've just answered that question. It's all about human development and evolving uh, or evolution in regards to that. Yeah, I mean, I, when I came across the the idea that um, that that the human being stays in a very narrow bandwidth of our human potential and resources, I'd never thought about that before. I thought we were doing the best we can with the resources we've got, but that's not true. We were doing the best we can with the resources we think we have, but we have incredible resources. Um, and 
there's there's two types of questions you can ask: the why questions and the how questions. And the why questions, and I've, I'm talking more about this in my book I'm writing. The why questions will will exhaust you and and kill you and trap you. Um, you know, why am I alone? The answer will be because you're unlovable. So if someone who's lonely out there is asking the why question, why am I alone? The voice will naturally say, well, you're unlovable. That's why. They'll deliver the perfect response to a um, problem-focused question. You know, why am I so fat? Because you eat like a pig. Oh, right. (laughs) I'm a pig, am I? Oh, cool. You know, so an actor might ask, why is my agent such an idiot? Question, the answer will be, because you don't deserve better. Because that's what the industry is going to dish up for you. You'll have to cope. Yeah, wow. So you transform the why, transform the why questions to how questions. Um, how can I reveal and experience my ultimate health every day? How can I do that? I'll get up 10 minutes early. You know, next door neighbour's had a fall. Her poor dog yaps during the day, hasn't got anyone to take it for a walk. I'll knock on the door and say, I'll take your puppy dog for a walk in the morning for an hour. Suddenly you're up an hour and at 10 minutes early, you know. So the how questions are quite incredible. How can I, uh, how can I connect to the world around me in meaningful ways? Well, you'll sure meet somebody rather than why am I alone because you're unlovable. How can I connect to the world in more meaningful ways? You'll, you'll find that. Once again, what you focus on and give your energy to will grow. Um, Where your mind flows, your energy grows. The bandwidth theory you were talking about there just before, the way that we as humans operate within that bandwidth, relates back to how you started this conversation where you found yourself in your comfort zone in Melbourne and you just had to run away from that. You knew that you had to expand your bandwidth. And that's brilliant with the the how and the why and the comparing those questions. What's the book called that you're writing? Um, It's the, the artist map. So it's going to look at the artist inside all of us and how there's the person and then there's the manager. And of course, you know, going back to your th- thoughts about having children, or not your thoughts, but your beliefs, your des- beliefs, and de- <laughs> you know, desire, plans. Um, um, the best thing a, 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 I think a parent can do is manage themselves and manage the kids. Uh, the person will give them love. The artist will be you'll be running with little Bob or Cynthia or whoever it is running around the park, and you'll be doing forward rolls and running up and down, the, doing all the stuff, and that'll be your artist uh, as well. Your seven-year-old kid will be released as well. Your beautiful free child, mischievous and cheeky and in the moment, um, but ultimately, um, you'll be managing those kids to find their own manager within themselves so they can cope and survive. I think that a lot of parents don't, many do. I think many have no idea that um, the best thing they can give that kid is their ability to manage themselves, their feelings, their expectations, their life. Uh, Many years ago, there was a um, survey done in America about why couples stay together, found it fascinating. And the results came in. And was it the amount of time they had sex? No. Was it the type of sex they had? No. Was it how many times they argued? No. Was it um, how many shared values they had? No. Was it about a aligned future? No. The most prevalent answer was the ability to self-soothe. I found that fascinating. So both people were able to manage and be responsible for their own pain, their own stuff, their own wishes and wants and expectations. I mean, how often do you hear 
the man, who's men only, basically, going through a divorce process, who drown their three boys with themselves. And you go, oh, my God. Or go around to the girlfriend's house after she's found somebody new, douse them in flames and set them alight. And you go, wow, that's, that's incredible. That person has only asked the why questions. You know, why has she left me? Uh, why are we in divorce court? Because life is cruel. Because there is no God. Because no one should suffer what I'm suffering. Therefore, I'm going to I'm going to take my three boys into a lake in a car with myself and drown them. Or that man who threw his kid out the window of the car on the Westgate Bridge four years ago, because he's going through a divorce process with his wife. And you're going, so that's the person. And and it wasn't the the forty year old who drowned the three boys. It was the seven year old within him. It was that little boy who was so frightened and so terrorized and so much in pain who thought, I want to end this for myself and everybody I love. It wasn't the 40-year-old who went, are you kidding? Hang on, let's, 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 let's look at this, uh, this, this construct here. You're going to kill your three boys in the lake because your wife found somebody new or she can't live with your aggression anymore? So... The how and why questions are amazing. And I watched the other week, um, I don't know why I came across it, the uh, um, uh, people talking about the tsunami uh, when they were at Aceh or whatever um, holiday resorts they were at. And it was all the recounting of each person, what happened. And it was incredible. It only struck me afterwards. In those moments, we don't ask the how, the why questions. We only ask the how questions. And... You could hear it in people saying, I saw the wave coming outside the window. How can I grab my wife? I grabbed her. We went under the water. How can I keep hold of my wife when I can't see her anymore? Then his hip is broken and his leg and his arm is broken. In fact, one of the guys had both arms broken. Now he can't hold his wife or keep himself up. How can I, keep, how can I try and get to the surface to see where my wife is? Four minutes later, he gets to the surface, four kilometres down the bloody stream, um, holding onto a tree. How can I, okay, how can I hold onto this tree a little longer to get a bit more strength because I'm going to let go I'm going to try and find my wife? So the how questions are amazing. They all happen in moments of calamity and collision. Yet our ego has this place that will ask the why questions and get the short straw every time. So it relates back to earlier on in the conversation where you said, you teach people and talk to people about not and in your presentations that don't wait for the tsunami, don't wait for the adversity and the tragedy. Teach yourself how to ask these questions through every aspect of your life. Yeah, and what a great question for, for to, to help kids to, to ask. Like if a student's working with me and they do their Shakespeare monologue they rehearsed the last week and they go, oh, why do I feel so stuck? Oh, so angry, so upset, so frustrated because they're self-conscious, they've got a class, they've got me watching now, it was great at home, it was great in the shower that morning when they did it, they knew all the words back to front, now it's not. And then my question is, how can you trust the dialogue? How can you trust yourself? How can you trust us? How does that look? And they go, well, breathe. I go, great, breathe. What's next? How can you reveal what Hamlet's going through? How can you take us on the journey through eye contact? Great, get eye contact with us right now. Look at everybody in the room. Boom, 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 everybody in the room. And they're breathing and they're looking. And then I say, action. They go, to be or not to be. They start the speech and you go, and everyone goes, wow, that's so good. And it's not me. I'm 
merely calibrating or orchestrating their focus and energy on something positive, productive and powerful that has them feel like they can come to life. And that's what ACA Kids is going to do all the way. We're not talking about kids being special, which they are, but we're not talking about you're special, you're unique, you're one of a kind. We're not doing all that. Everybody we know is special, but it's not about us. It's about other people. We know it's about our connection that makes our world and our life. Now, you would have worked with hundreds, no, thousands of uh, actors and actresses over the years, but you seem to have a close relationship with Hugh Jackman and the two of you have launched a book together called The Acting Edge. Hugh is a much-loved actor by all Australians for obvious reasons, but also millions of people worldwide. Can you give us a bit of an insight into what it was like coaching Hugh back in the early 90s, I believe he graduated from from your class, uh, and also what your work and relationship is like with him these days. Hugh uh, arrived to audition and uh, we knew straight away that there was someone special standing in front of us. Um, I think a few reasons he was incredibly present, he was incredibly humble and he was incredibly curious. They're the three words I'd use. And instantly I felt like this guy doesn't want anything from us. Even though he wants to get into the school, that wasn't a part of the room. Uh, he wasn't trying to prove, impress. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't attached to the outcome. He was fully connected. And he did Hamlet's um, To Be or Not To Be, funnily enough. And uh, it was really good. Uh, and I said to him, let's try something. And there was a very strong, sturdy table in the room. And I said, um, do, do you mind standing on the table? He said, no, of course, no worries. So he got on the table and I said, could you put your toes over the edge of the, of the table? And I said, so you're safe. You've got to be safe. He went, yeah, yeah. So he came a bit forward. I said, can you lean forward a little bit? And he said, yeah. And he was looking down as if he was like on top of, oh, I said, now you're on a cliff. Um, and there's a drop. You're, on, you're, you're, at, you're at the gap. You know, you're you're going to jump. This is it to be or not to be, to be alive or not, to suffer what the world throws at you or to end it, like we've got a choice, you know. Um, I often think if there was a red button in every room we were in um, that we could just depart the planet, I wonder how many people would be <laughs> running across the red button going, I'm out of here, I've had enough. They might regret it afterwards, but if it was that easy, I wonder. So I said, you're at the gap. You're leaning forward. You can smell the salt air. The, 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 the thermals are coming up the cliff face. And then he just put his hands out as if he was going to jump. And I said, just start on a whisper and start the speech again. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I went here, and we always look for someone in an audition whether they can adapt, whether they can respond. Uh, and suddenly you could almost see his hair moving with the thermals, it was incredible. And anyway, the audition was great. He went outside, I took him outside, I said, thanks very much for, for coming, it was great. He said, look, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, when do you think we might hear whether we get in? I said, look, it's literally, it'll be two, perhaps three weeks away. He said, ah, oh. I said, is, there, is that a problem or a challenge for you? He said, look, look, I've been offered a three year contract on Neighbours. Uh, he said, and they need to know, like, by yesterday. Uh, and I've held them off to now, but I need to let them know in the next couple of days. He said, I don't want to put pressure on you, but I'm letting you know that's, that's you know. And I said, um, 
if you were if you had the opportunity to choose one or the other right now, what would you choose? He said, training. And I went, okay, give me a minute. So I went back into the room with the panel and said, told them the story. I said, will I say yes? And we've never said yes before. You always wait till you've seen everybody. But we knew we wouldn't take him anywhere. So I walked back out and said, yeah, you're in. He went, oh, really? Um, so Neighbours never came to fruition. Never happened. And he came and uh, he was one of your students for years. Yeah, and there's someone who uh, was willing to give up the certainty of a three-year contract on Neighbours, playing a lead, um, getting really good money, and he was only 22 at the time, so that would have been really good money. Um, but no, he said he made the leap of faith. And, and Now, if we'd said to him, we can't tell you for two weeks, he would have turned down Neighbours and waited. And I didn't want him to go through two weeks of that agony, knowing after t- talking to the panel, we were going to take him. So I said, can I just tell him? that uh presence and humility that you spoke of that he that he presented with from the beginning he seems to still carry that humility with him everywhere i think that's why so many people follow hugh's life journey as a person and not just an actor because of that humility that he seems to carry is that what you guys still carry with each other to the day and that's why you've sort of teamed up with the book that you've launched together yeah, we, we, we have a great camaraderie because we both respect the craft so much. Uh, we both believe that, that everybody working in the industry is being of service to, to the playwright's intentions. Um, we both believe that – I mean, I was at the opening night of Les Mis, the film in Sydney, and I was talking to Hugh and Russell Crowe at the party afterwards, and um, I turned to Hugh and said, you realise this is the first time – you've played a father, really, in, in your career. And he, I said, that paternal aspect of you. And he went, shit, yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, and, of course, he's got two kids. And um, I said, it's the first time you've been able to ch-. – and he was so amazing in Les Mis, the film. Um, I said, that's the first time you've been able to channel that um, paternal, deep sense of care, deep sense of connection, adult – uh, protective and all that stuff. And he went, yeah. I said, yeah, it's great. He said, I think that's why it took so much out of me because it, it, it drew on those new aspects of himself. Um, but, yeah, we, he's got such a great um, sense of, of ease about him. We were at, I remember the day of the opening, closing night of Boy From Oz in Perth. I was over there to see the show and we're, we came downstairs from his hotel room and we're in the foyer and a little kid came running over to him. Didn't know it was Hugh Jackman. The kid was only about three and look, he comes running over, and she, Hugh instantly left the, what he was doing at the counter, um, and bent down to the kid and said hi, and began a little, you know. And the mother and dad ran across. Said so sorry. And then when Hugh stood up, they went. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> but that he he wouldn't ignore something like that. That's not a part of his nature. And I guess that's too why he is so involved with a lot of charities and organisations around the world to to make that bigger impact and that ripple effect through what the platform that he's been. Uh, I'm sure grateful to create through early days of your creation as well. You see that humility shine so deeply from Hugh with every um, charitable and non-profit organisation that he dives into. Yeah, he, he at the opening of the Acting Edge launch, uh, he said to me one of the things he learnt from me was um, just say yes. Um, when something feels right, just say yes. Uh, and in, in class when I was teaching him um, rather than, no and finding a reason or saying well yes but 
will it work? Just go and do it. Give it a go. Just walk out on the diving board and just 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 jump. And uh, he t- he takes that on to set with him. Just he says yes to the crew, yes to other people. I mean, here's a man who, in the boy from Oz, you know, you've got the Qantas Girls Choir singing. I still call Australia home in the second half of the show. So they don't arrive until just before interval. Um, Hugh is got first line, last line. He's driving the entire whole three-hour show, all singing, all dancing, all acting, all sweating, all costume changing, all everything. You know, at interval, every show he went down four flights of stairs, knocked on the Qantas Girls Choir door, opened the door, and said, "Just want to let you know, girls, I look forward to seeing you out there tonight." And they go, "Thanks, Hugh." <laughs> And he now he doesn't need to go downstairs and do that. What a legend! Yeah, but there's he knows that there are two hundred or three hundred or fifty. I don't know how many there was in the choir. People who've rocked up probably voluntarily. I don't know. They're all downstairs. They're all a bit nervous and scared. But Hugh comes down and gives them a thumbs up. As a dad, in many ways, he wouldn't realise it's a dad thing to do. Um, but to go, I look forward to seeing you out there, girls. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Brilliant. What about and some other top actors that you've worked with, uh, Australian actors or international that might be on the big stage that we know about that is something that you might have learned from them or even Hugh himself. Is there points in time now where you reflect or spend time with those actors or actresses and you learn a lot from them and the way that they present themselves or the way that they're teaching uh, their craft now? Because I feel like as coaches and as teachers, we it's a sense of pride when you see your students or, from in my case, your athletes grow as humans and not just the uh, the the actress, the actor, or the sports person. Is there anything that comes to mind from any of the actors or actresses that you work with closely that that show that that you learn a lot from? I think I love um, I love seeing courage in people. And, and I, I remember hearing many years ago that courage is an act of will. It's not something that you get or that you, you, you earn. Uh, it's, an, it's actually an act of will. And I love – I think artists uh, in, the, in this industry have to be incredibly courageous and throw their hat in the ring over and over and over again and get rejected or get accepted. Um, so I love I – mean, I think, you know, someone like Hugh – I mean, Colin Farrell was here when he was 17 uh, at Actors Centre – he was just 17 and flew from Ireland and wanted to do classes and did six months of classes. The next time I saw him was on Minority Report, the film, and I went, isn't that that guy that got glasses? <laughs> um, I remember seeing Nicole Kidman in, in um, who did a weekend short course with us and uh, Dead Calm was the film she did just after that. And it's, it's, it's interesting seeing someone who's shy, quiet, um, vulnerable, uh, and then suddenly you see them on the screen, and you go, "Wow!" You know, you've, you you're bringing aspects of yourself I didn't even realize that you had to the table. And that's so. That's what you draw from that courage, and that helps you with the courage of this amazing community that you've built over the last thirty years. Yeah, we had a. Um, there's a wonderful um, voice teacher called Rowena Balos, and she gave a workshop many many years ago. Uh, here and she did a really really interesting exercise she got all of us and I was doing the class as well she got all of us to stand around the room stand somewhere pick a focal point in front of us and think about something that would scare you 
So um, a bear on a camping trip, uh, someone coming out from behind a, uh, a dumpster in a laneway, um, someone coming around down a hallway of the house, whatever it might, some image that would scare you. And she got us to when the fear, on a one to ten scale, she said the fear go from, she said, connect to the image, see the person, see the thing, see the bear, see whatever it is, let it build, build, build. And when you get to ten, you take a dramatic, very fast, quick step backwards, put your hands forward and you say, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then you relax, disengage, you go back to the position you're in and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. So we did that three, four, five times. We went, okay, cool. And each time you went like, wow, you, I really feel frightened. I've got the fight or flight thing in my body. My adrenaline is pumping. Then she said, okay, using the same scenario, let it build from one to ten. And when you get to ten, step forward and say, I'm scared. It's an incredible thing to, rather than retreat into fear and terror, to step forward and say, I'm scared, but I'm here. You know, I'm scared, how can I deal with this? As opposed to, I'm scared, why is there a bear in my tent? Why is there a man in the laneway? Why is there... And um, it got us to realise that you can be scared and still step forward. And I think that's, that's what is going to create a world of which we'd be proud to live in, which is people stepping forward um, with purpose, with a sense of tribe, uh, knowing it may be unpopular, but it's important for the planet. I mean, the whole climate change thing... Um, you know, I remember hearing many years ago that um, a politician was only concerned about the direction of things, whereas a stateswoman or man is concerned about the connection and relationships with people. And you go, yeah, a politician is about the politics and the things, whereas a statesperson is, is interested in relationships. So with other countries and within people in their own party and people in the other party. So... Yeah, I think, yeah. I was going to ask you if you could uh, take us through a short game or task, but I think that one that you just explained is really powerful for all the listeners to have a go at. And I like how you elaborated there that you can operate as a human in the space of scarcity and courage at the same time. You can choose to be scared or you can choose to accept that scarcity is there, but you can also choose in the same breath to be courageous. Yeah, I mean, we know when I when I teach, you can't entertain success without entertaining failure. It's not possible, mm. you know. Um, and so I talk about it as being vision and ouch. So if you have a vision for something, the ouch, and the ouch I don't mean is ouch as in I've stubbed my toe. Ouch could be I just got dumped by the person I thought was my soulmate um, or, 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 or someone I love is terminally ill. I mean, that's a part of the ouch as well. I mean, I'm... A student of mine came to me a number of years ago and she was had graduated and she said her mother was just diagnosed with being terminal and she was having a really hard time um, nursing her at home. Um, and she was going through a lot and she looked terrible, as you would. And um, I said to her, um, we talked for about half an hour or 45 minutes and I said, I wonder whether you could invite some a how question into the experience she said what what do you mean I said well 
The question might be, because you could ask, why is my mother dying? Why am I going to be left alone? Why is life so cruel? Uh, why is this happening? Uh, what, all that, and and you, you'll never get a, an answer that will be at all meaningful or, or helpful. Uh, it'll only be because God doesn't care. You know, life is cruel. You know, it'll never work. Uh, you don't deserve to have a mother, whatever it might be. Um, <clears throat> but the question I said, what about if the question was, how could I honour my mother in every way in this final journey? What if that was the question? How could I honour my, my mother? And I then said, and look after myself in this final journey. I said, and she went, wow. I said, that doesn't mean you won't go to your bedroom and put your face in the pillow and sob and get a baseball bat out and smash the mattress. We're going to do that. We're going to need to do that. But that energy has no place in the room with your mum. And she came to me about a year later, and the mum had only survived another couple of months, I think. And she said, it was amazing time we had. Painful, uh, difficult, but beautiful. As opposed to what it might have been with the why questions. That's extremely powerful. That's a great mindset to step into those uh, kind of environments, actually. Now, you've recently directed a verbatim theatre show called Motherload. And I want you to tell us a little bit about that one and what you love about, is it verbatim? Am I pronouncing it correctly? Oh, yeah. About verbatim theatre. Actually, you'll probably have to explain what verbatim theatre is for most of the listeners too. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to find a little clip on here. Oh, good. Yes, Yes. good, good. Um, Verbatim is word for word. Uh, I came across it in America when I was there in 86 working with a woman called Anna DeVere Smith who's uh, an expert in verbatim theatre. So uh, she takes – she records real life, obviously real life people and then uses the dialogue. But what she does is what what I've picked up on as well is – she says it in exactly the same way as the person said it at the time of the interview. So you'd not only get what the person said, but you get you get to hear how the person said it. Um, tone, pitch, pause, stammer, volume, key change, everything. And of course, our voice is, is our principal way of, of communicating. So um, that's why a kid can cry and not lose its voice, you know, whereas it'd be very hard for us to cry and make that sound as an adult. We just lose our voice within minutes. But a kid can, kid knows that's his only way of calling the parent to help them because they're so vulnerable. So verbatim is in May. I love it because we, we interview real people. We get the real stories. There's no agenda from us. I edit it so it sounds like a real-life conversation, but – uh, the audience can't go, well, that's made up, that wouldn't happen, that's not true. It is true, it did happen, these are real people, they're living. And what I love about it, because there is no agenda, all we're doing is honouring the person's voice, we're celebrating their life and we're sharing honestly um, their feelings. It's very, very real. Yeah, and, and you could hear a pin drop in the audience when we do the show every year. I've done, I think, 14 shows like this. And uh, I did stories from the wayside and stories from the starlight and Sydney stories and stories from the west side. 
um, stories from the inside out. So they're all about different aspects of the community. Um, Western Sydney, Parramatta, um, stories from the inside out was the gay, lesbian, transgender community. Um, Sydney stories was King's Cross. Wayside Chapel was from the Wayside Chapel. Starlight, of course, was from the Starlight um, uh, carers and, and Starlight captains. Um, that was an amazing show. People thought that they were going to arrive at Starlight Stories and, and see eight beds with eight young kids lying in them and eight drips on wheels. <laughs> I didn't realise we had a a, a, a a stage full of toys, all in coloured lights, as if the kids had all run away for a, a sleep and the parents and helpers and carers had joined together to hold hands, to honour those kids and to to share the pain and the joy and the mystery of life. So the shows are incredible. And Motherload was amazing because it was, um, I think, seven, seven mothers from all different walks of life talking about what it is to be a mother, what it is to be a manager, a parent, expectations of a child, the, the hurts, the beauty, the love, the humour, the contribution. Uh, it, was, it was incredible, an amazing show. I can't find what I was looking for. I was going to show you some clips of a 19-year-old boy uh, in in his element and doing some TV commercials for Retrovision and Subway and I was going to get your feedback as an oh, acting coach wow. on that. Was that you? It was me. I did have a little <laughs> dabble in it years ago and I thought I wanted to get your uh, your coaching eye onto that but mm. couldn't find it. It's obviously a sign. It's not worth uh, that, that it still exists in, <laughs> in our day. That's great. Uh, now... We'll wrap things up shortly. I could honestly talk to you for a lot more, uh, sorry, a lot longer about all these different things. I had a bunch of questions, but I feel like you've sort of answered them through through the this journey of a chat. But one thing that I want to ask is, what is your true underlying core belief of your purpose on this planet? Take a big breath. I did some work with a life coach a while back and uh, – we looked at trying to find the number one word or words that captured my purpose. And and it wasn't the words I thought it was going to be. The word that uh, came up, kept coming up, was the word of wonder. Uh, wondrous, wonderment, wonderful. And I think that has always captured me. I didn't realise it. But the wonder of, which has got curiosity, of course, embedded in it, but the wonder of what could happen inside a class, inside a relationship, inside a conversation, um, wondering about how the world could look, how this family could look. Um, you know, I remember, I mean, going back um, last year, my dad tried to commit suicide in Melbourne. And when I found out, I, I just rang here and said, I've, and I was directing a show, I said, I've just got to go. I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. I just, I just have to go. Um, and I, dro- I drove to Melbourne because I, I had to have a car that was able to get his wheelchair in and do all that stuff. Um, and even through that trauma I, and going through his cancer surgery, and I, I wondered, the question was, once again, how? How could I be with my father in a way I hadn't before. And so when I undressed him at six o'clock in the morning at St. Vincent's Hospital from his surgery, 
he was crying from fear and anxiety and I was on the floor taking his undies off and and there we were, you know, in this horrible, grey, terrible room. I remember looking at him saying, Dad, you're stronger than you think you are and I'm here. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, you know. And it's those – and I guess that comes back to that I wonder what could happen here. I wonder what Dad needs now. So that I think, and I wonder how amazing this production could be. I wonder, I wonder what the audience want now. So wonder, I think, is probably the core element. And I, I didn't even connect with it when the life coach said it. I went, well, I sort of get it. But now I really do feel that that's what the driver is. And so you connect with that. You believe that. You feel that. That's that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. I've never really asked anyone else but I know that when I was researching you and then listening to your talk here today that I knew you would be connected with a purpose so I was very interested and intrigued to know what it is and I can understand why that word didn't click with you for a while because when you first said it I thought where's this going where does this wonder and wonderment come into play yeah and of course it's through the performing arts but um, I, 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 I wonder how I believe that theatre is a transformational tool, of course, and I believe that, and I think it's true, I think most people have their most emotional and most meaningful experiences in the cinema. I remember as an usher at 17 in Melbourne, I used to see men who wouldn't shed a tear, I'm sure, outside of that darkened cinema space uh, and had to, when the lights come up, try and you know, regather themselves together and re- recollect themselves, um, and and adjust back to the to the r- real life. But I remember seeing them walk out holding their girlfriend's hand a bit differently than how they walked in. And I think that um, theatre, film, and great television, and there's such great television around, is such a mirror to the angels and demons within us, and to the most toxic elements of the species. And the most angelic, the most wonderful. Nowhere does that, you know. And you know, I've been so upset with the the government cutting uh, vocational training, you know, fee help recently, and saying that STEM is the most important thing in the world. Well, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics is really is really important, absolutely. But without the A of arts, which we call STEAM, without the A of arts, there is no way of the society self reflecting. You can't self-reflect through science or mathematics. You just can't. And if, if going back to that point about an hour ago, um, if we're going to survive as a species, if we don't self-reflect, we won't adjust and we won't rethink. And that, that quote goes, you know, 2% of the population think, 3% think they think, and 95% would rather die than think. Um, that doesn't mean there's 2% of the population who only think we can all go to that 2%. But what the quote suggests is that at any given point in time, there's probably only 2% on the planet who are really thinking. And they're probably in crisis and calamity and collision. But the 95% of us are just surviving. And so theatre says, let's not survive, let's thrive. Let's look at who we are. And great television like Breaking Bad, um, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, all these epic Mr. Robot, all these Sense8, all these incredible television shows 
um, are showing the world as it is, as it could be, and who we are as authors of this reality that we're in. Now, I'm all about action, and on top of what you're just speaking about, what's some specific advice that you can give to the listeners on what action they can take to be more impactful in their communities and in their own lives? Great. I think that going back to – I think the how question is the most magical thing. Uh, And to look at any aspect of our life where we've got a lack of energy, a lack lack of liberty, a lack of self-expression – um, that's exactly the area you need to ask a how question. Um, how can I connect with my next door neighbours better? How can I connect with my neighbourhood better? Um, how can I connect with the local charities better? How can I contribute more of what my my family have? Um, I think that how question leads straight to action. Uh, the why question leads to inaction. Uh, why is the world the way it is? Because that's what will dish dish up to us all the time, you know. I mean, on 9-11, you know, the question the Americans only ever asked was why, you know, why, you know, why did it happen? Because they hate us. They want our freedom, which is not the case. The question, the, the how question would have been, how can we connect with these disparate elements in the world right now that would make a difference? How could we connect? War on terror is not going to, well, let's, we won't get into politics. But that's a whole different, you know, why we'll give you this sort of, endless um, like the fly at the window that never gets out and dies on the windowsill it'll exhaust it so action I think to me is the how questions Um, how can I give more of myself Uh, how can I contribute more Um, what are the areas around me that I could bring more of myself to and that's that sense of wonder as well you know wondering what it could look like you know like just a quick example um cindy who lives behind me um she's been there for a year um i said to her yesterday how are you going she said oh good i'm off to um off to brisbane uh on today actually 11 30 today i said oh great what are you doing i'm pitching my new book i've just written to and she said, i'm so scared i said okay give me your email address i'll send you my top 22 points on pitching and then if you want half an hour come on we'll talk and so she went, oh, my God. So she read the 22 points, went, this is incredible. Can I come and see you tomorrow? I said, yes. She's on her way to the airport. So before she went to the airport, she ran across the laneway into the back door. This morning we had half an hour before I came to see you. This while I was a bit late. We had 40 minutes on her pitch, completely transformed it. She felt completely connected and went, that was incredible. Well, that couldn't have – that could have easily not have happened, you know. But my, my sense is – I wonder how I can help Cindy. I wonder how her book could be revealed to more of the planet. Brilliant. I often think, how can I give more? And uh, one of the things that I've created is our Life Tease campaign. And we've teamed up with some elite Paralympic athletes and able-bodied athletes and they design a tea and 100%. So we help them design it and then we do all the background work and we sell the teas and 100% of the profits go to their chosen charities. So I want to give you wow. uh, one of these teas. Now, this is the Scotty Reardon Grateful Tea. So it's got the helicopter on there that actually saved his life when his uh, leg got chopped off in a farming accident when he was 12 years old. And then on the back is his actual uh, running blade there too. So that's my wow. way of how can I give more? So that is amazing. 
and I wonder if it's the right size and if it's not, we can do something about that. So extra, 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 <laughs> I, extra large. I do have other sizes. I can definitely sort you but out that there. That is amazing. The helicopter is linked to the blade that he now has now. It's an amazing story and to for us to proudly put that on a shirt and see him raise money. Originally, he was raising it for the Snowy Hydro Southcare, which is the helicopter on the front that saved his life. But now they're a government-funded organisation. They can't take charitable income. So now he's donating it to Batir, which is a youth mental health organisation based here in Sydney. So it's awesome to be a part of this uh, gratitude legacy and to be able to give in that way. So that's my giving to you to say a massive thank you for uh, oh, coming so onto the podcast. It's, it's the, it is the simple things, isn't it? Like just seeing a helicopter that someone flew to pick him up what, when he was 12. 12 years old, almost losing his life on the side of the road in western New South Wales from getting his leg chopped off in a tractor. See, that's, that's what theatre does. That T-shirt is what theatre does. It brings um, – have we got another couple of minutes? We've got as much time oh. as you need. I've actually got a fast five questions to ask you. So when you finish explaining oh, okay, cool. the theatre. Um, no, um, rather than as – like that that T-shirt, the helicopter, the life – literally the lifeline and to the blade that he uses now, um, theatre takes us to a multitude of places that we never have to go to. But we get to go to them. We get to go to a, 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 a field of war and see bloodied bodies or a film. We get to go to, like Dunkirk's just come out, we get to go to Dunkirk and see that in a cinema or at home and go, wow. Human endeavour, allegiance, honour, betrayal, fear, guilt, uh, redemption. Like the great... Univ- that's why Shakespeare's still around now. The great universal issues, the great things that we aspire to, that we understand inherently. Um, and um, so, you know, we can watch a film about someone's son or daughter dying and not have to have our own die to know what that would be like. But we come back to our son and daughter with something new from having seen that film. Well, actually, that's what I feel like when I was driving here thinking about you as a person and your community that you've created, what I feel like I would resonate with. Whilst I did a couple of uh, Retrovision and Subway ads back in the day, I never did any <laughs> acting classes or anything like that. But what I feel would be an amazing energy from you and your students is their perception and they have to change their perception and they're exposed to all these uh, random perceptions throughout their careers and throughout their experiences because I believe that the problem with society these days is that they have a very rigid perception and a very rigid belief system, but you can't be rigid like that in the acting and in the theatre. That's right. And uh, I love that quote that goes, um, the test of an educated person is the person who can let go their most cherished belief when a better one comes along. I love that. So this idea that we, we, we cling on to things that we think are real, but the real educated person is the person who can go, Oh, wow. Like um, acceptance of, oh, wow, I was wrong or, oh, wow, there is a different way. Yes. That malleability of your belief systems. Yeah. Like I think um, the premier of Victoria who was against euthanasia and then suddenly nursed his mum, I think, to death and now he's completely changed. And you go, yeah. So before then he was pro-life. We don't have the choice. It's not – and then he watched his mum go through – I think it was his mum. He watched someone he loved go through it and he went, we have to change. And that's what I call a pattern interrupt. 
And that's what psychologists call a pattern interrupt, where where um, the the habitual way that we think and that we think we're thinking, but we're not. We're just on a uh, like a spinning wheel, like a mouse going around and around and around. Something comes along which knocks us off course, creates a pattern interrupt, and we go, "Wow!" And then you let go of a cherished idea because a better one comes along, which is no one should suffer like my mum just suffered. No one should. And do you feel that that pattern interrupt is more often than not adversity? Yes, definitely. Does it need to be adversity? Uh, I don't think so because a pattern interrupt, interrupt can be falling in love. But that can also be, you know, projection and romance and a thousand other things that aren't really real. It's, it's, it's sort of a fantasy. But um, uh, I've had pattern interrupts that haven't been adversity but the very nature of a pattern interrupt is frightening because we, we have this, what we call the terror barrier. We have what we know and what we don't know. We're in the, we're in the comfort zone, in the stretch zone. And we, we, in these moments, we have the ability to step back with fear or step forward with faith. There's only two ways of going. Um, in a tsunami, you can't step back in fear. You know, if we think of the number of emergency services, service people now around Australia who are uh, arriving at house fires, someone's leg chopped off, you know, in an accident on a farm somewhere. Um, horrific, horrific road accidents on a freeway. How? How questions? Not why do, people, why do idiots drive so fast? Why, why, why is he drinking? Why is the people lady going at 120 k's an hour in a suburban street? How can we get them out of the car? How can we relieve her pain? How can we help the people who are distressed on the side of the street? Um, so I think... It does come from adversity a lot, but I've had pattern interrupts in the cinema often. Well, I was actually just thinking about the positive um, pattern interrupts with relating back to Hugh. So he would have had some positive pattern interrupts from his time with you. And when students of yours step out with all these skill sets and get these opportunities in theatre or film or even in business, whatever it might be, their positive pattern interrupts in their life. So I can see how it's not always adversity related. Yeah, it's just um, – and the chair game, We're going back to that, um, that takes people into a, a new zone, a new way of thinking and going, wow, how can I be more flexible? How can I be more fluid? How can I be more res- responsive? As opposed to why are we losing? Why is he walking around like that? Why aren't we winning? Why are we doing this exercise? You know, so I, I, I always um, relate it to a bit like going up in a plane and you go through some turbulence and you go through some dark clouds. There is always bright sky above. There's always, even with the girl I was talking about with her mother dying of cancer, the way she nursed her, rather than being in the turbulence for those three months, she and her mum found the blue sky. And that could have been having a snooze side by side with gratitude that they were alive for that day. So that's going back to the wonder as well, that the blue sky is always available. There'll always be turbulence, but it's where we place our focus and energy. I'm going to do a little pattern interrupt because we could get lost for hours more and I appreciate your time and uh, I'm going to interrupt it into the direction of the fast five questions that I haven't actually told you about. 
But before we do that, uh, two-part question. Where can our listeners learn more about you? So social media, websites, etc. And how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Wow. Well, um, we're about to launch DeanCarry.com, which is just my philosophy and my beliefs and um, YouTube clips of me doing speeches and things. So DeanCarry.com will be alive in a week. Um, ACA Sydney is the website where you can find out more about my philosophy and my um, education model, um, which is what ACA is based on. And I think um, I'm so excited by ACA Kids, which we're launching in October. So if people want to spread the word about ACA Kids and um, I'm just going to come across uh, a group of um, 20,000 mothers that live in Western Sydney um, uh, called uh, the Inner West Mums. And so we're about to connect with them regarding ACA Kids. So I think that's the thing that I would love people to jump on board if they know people with kids, if they've got kids, if they want uh, something of real contribution that we're going to give those little ones uh, the hour of their week that they would never have had. Um, and and, and we're, we're throwing all of our resources behind that. Brilliant. And I'll link all that up in the show notes for everyone listening so they'll be able to click on that straight away and go and find out more about that. That sounds phenomenal, actually. I'll be tagging many parents uh, and future parents in that and following Great. the journey Fantastic. closely. All right, the fast five questions. Now, don't give yourself too much time to think about these. Maybe you can think uh, that you're in your theatre, just behind us there and uh, doing an improv class or, or however it rolls. I'm really excited about this fast five. Yeah, now actually. how long do I have to answer the question for? You have as like... long as you want. I call it the fast oh, five to right. just let it – I prefer it if you don't think about it and see what comes. So, But in saying that, I'm almost encouraging you to be creative with it. So right. let's see how it goes. Okay. What's one habit you wish you could change? Oh, um, going for walks every morning. Getting out and about, I, I I've got so much going on, and I've, I I run this racket with myself that I'm I'm in a place of overwhelm. I haven't got time. I have got time, and I'm two minutes from the harbour. And when I get up in the morning and do an hour walk, I love it. So I got to change that, and I will tomorrow. Tomorrow, there you go. I'll uh, send you a text, and uh, you can send me a photo when you're out walking tomorrow I will. to I prove will. it. I'm creating accountability there for you, and a pattern interrupt as well. Yes, there you go. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized i think when an audience comes into a theater i'm on the edge which is why the book was called the acting edge i'm on the edge with them that something magical incredible powerful of meaning and merit can happen and i get i get nervous i get excited that's the most pumped i think i feel uh, as the audience are gathering and i hear the 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 um uh rumble from the audience and as as house lights go down, I love that moment when I think the audience will hopefully have something that they'll that will be of such benefit and will change them in some way. So that's when I get the most pumped. When I'm walking upstairs here or I'm I'm hearing the audiences arriving and they're in the foyer. I love that moment. Feeling like you're on edge, like uh, you put Hugh on the edge of that table back in the early 90s to bring out the best that's of That's it. And the the audience don't want to be safe. And I tell the students that. Um, every word, everything we're going to do tonight in the show, someone in that audience needs to hear. They need to hear this. That's why they're here. So let's not play safe. Let, let's not tiptoe to the grave hoping to make it safely to death. Um, let's, not, let's not do that. Let's not play appropriate and comfortable. Let's take the audience into a edgy, confronting, complex conversation where they have to rethink 
themselves and their world. You've got me feeling all pumped and exhilarated <laughs> and energised now. I can see see why that does it to you. Mm. Have you ever washed a dog? Oh, I love washing the dog. I've got a dog called Bailey and uh, Bailey is hilarious because when I say to Bailey on the weekend, we're going to have a bath, she looks at me and she goes, mm, not sure about that. So I go up the stairs and go, come on, we're going to have a bath and we go, I go into the bathroom and then she follows me up. Then she walks past the bathroom into the back room and I go, Bailey, bath time. And then she turns around and walks back past the door and goes up the stairs to the upstairs, Bailey, bath time. And she turns around and she comes in, comes in and sits in the shower with me. So I have a shower while I bath her. So we're both sitting on the floor as I'm massaging the flea and we're singing and <laughs> enjoying. <laughs> We've had some people on the podcast that haven't washed a dog, some that have washed a dog, but you're the first one that loves washing the dog. Love it. Brilliant. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, I think I remember someone said to me, uh, when you show up, everything will get handled. Not just turn up, but when you show up. And, and uh, I don't think I was showing up in my life for years and years and years. The seven-year-old boy was, was frightened. Um, I was living in a place of sort of terror. Um, I was living in a place of um, hopefulness. I hope it'll work out. I was asking so many why questions. It's a wonder I'm still alive. And then um, when I heard that, I went, Dean has to show up. Given all the stuff that went on for him at school, growing up, family, school, all that stuff, that, that goes back to the wonder of I wonder what could happen now. Because the great two questions are, uh, which I talk with my students, um, what's possible given what you know, given how you failed before or imagine yourself to fail, given what you think you know, given what you think you can do, given what you did last week in class, given what you think I think of them, given what you think you think of yourself, that's one question. The other question is what's possible? Not with all that history. Not to say the history doesn't influence the next moment. It will. But let's not repeat the history. We know it's happened what's possible right now. So when Hugh got on that table, he said yes. He couldn't say no, probably, but he said yes. Um, but energetically, I could feel him saying, okay, cool, I'm on a table. And Hugh's already six foot three. So now he's on a, a table. He's now towering in the air. So that idea of when you show up, things get handled. Uh, I showed up with my dad and things got handled. Um, I showed up when my pop was dying. I was, I was holding his hand or feet for the last six hours and I was in the room in a way I'd never been, I don't think, in a room before or with my grandfather before, even though he was unconscious. So there's that amazing um, space because I love that, that thing that you can't put something where something's already there. So you've got to create a space, a clear, a clear space be able to put something so showing up means you bring your wisdom your intuition your instinct your love your guidance your fears your frights but you're showing up in a way to make a difference and then things will get handled they do get handled and and this space wouldn't be ACA wouldn't be open today if I didn't have to show up and sometimes I didn't want to but I had to show up again and again and again and go, no, no, this is important. This is important. And it got handled. 
Well, you've certainly shown up today and I'm extremely grateful for that. And I wonder, the final question is, I wonder, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? It would be my partner, Siobhan. And we just celebrated 12 years yesterday. Uh, And uh, she only ever wants the best for me. She will be a mirror to me at all times and sometimes I've wanted to smash that mirror, throw it out the window and didn't want to look. I would not be sitting here, I would not have grown, I would not be the person I am today if I didn't meet her 12 years ago. And there's been many moments where I've been in confusion, uh, overwhelm, lack of clarity and confront uh, because of my relationship with her. But through every single one of those aspects, I know I've grown. I, I hope that she has grown too as well. But I'm so grateful to have a, um, a support, a adult, a manager uh, and a soulmate in her. Brilliant. Dino, you're a legend. You're a very expressive and passionate human uh, and a very powerful and impactful coach. Keep shining your transformational light, my man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. Boom. There it is. The unique perspective of the acting world that shapes a paradigm worth striving for. Let's not wait for the tsunami in our lives. Let's also identify the positive pattern interrupts in our lives and learn from and fuel ourselves from these. This podcast is a positive pattern interrupt if you let it be. Now, Dino did go for that walk and he did message me while he was doing it and he said how great he felt. I'm glad I could become his accountability partner for that. Speaking of partners, I think my gorgeous fiance Marie and I will definitely have our kids learn the three C's in such a creative community like what these guys are developing. Remember, identifying your why in different aspects of life is like identifying your purpose. But when it comes to asking the how and the why questions, the how leads to action and the why leads to inaction. I've always been extremely proud of our Life Teas campaign, but Dean's theatre analogy of Scotty's Grateful Tea ignited my pride even stronger. You can choose to step back with fear or forward in faith. Create space, learn yourself, be yourself. Make sure you check out the show notes on this episode to connect with everything we spoke about, including Dean's books and websites, the ACA Kids, and the awesome partnership with MindChamp. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at Your Life of Impact. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.